Our Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 5, starting in verse 22 and going through chapter 6, verse 12. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we do pray that this morning you would help us to be those who have ears that are ready to hear. Uh, that you would give us minds that are ready to receive uh, your word, to think on it, to ponder, and to understand better who you are and who we are in you. God, we pray that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives. God, that we would be shaped by your word and by your spirit into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 5, starting in verse 22, and going to 6.12. And this is when the people of Israel are still in slavery in Egypt, and God is making plans with Moses to get them out. And what I want you to listen for as we read Exodus 5.22 to 6.12, is the things that God says that he will do and also what it is that the people will do. So keep an ear out for both of those. Here we go. Uh, Exodus 5, starting 22, says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites. But they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? A question left hanging. As we turn now to our gospel reading, Mark 10, starting in verse 17 and going through verse 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, 
he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared. All these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me see if I can get the, get the lights for us so we can see the map that I did bring back. There we go. Okay, you see that? Kind of. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This will make sense in a minute. This is uh, the Mediterranean Sea. You've got Italy right there, Africa down here, and Egypt, Israel. Okay, the area we're going to be looking at specifically is right in here. And then we have the island of Patmos where John has a vision. And around this sort of mail route, he uh, sends this message of his vision to these various churches. And the reason they are depicted there as lampstands is because that's one of the very first things that John sees in this vision that he has. He sees this uh, vision of someone who we have identified as Jesus, who is depicted in dreamlike language, except that all of the uh, ways that the dream comes through, it's all language that comes straight from the Old Testament. And so it's just rich in meaning and what it represents. And so we see Jesus depicted as someone who is both God and man, someone who is priest and king, and someone who is uh, the head of the church and who also is going to be the, the true judge of all, but also who knows his church and knows it well. And we see the image of that as him you know, dressed in these strange things and looking in the strange way. But then we see him walking among the lampstands. And then it actually says that the lampstands are the churches. And so John sends this message of the vision 
so that these churches, each church would hear this message from Jesus that lets them know that Jesus knows them. He knows what's going on with them uh, for good or for bad. And we have seen that with each message, some are kind of a mixed bag where they have some things that they are getting right that they need to keep on doing. They have some things they're getting wrong. They need to fix. And some are much more one than the other. So here's kind of where we've been. Go ahead and click that. So first it was Ephesus. And we talked about the love you had at first and how they'd kind of fallen away. And so when they first came to Jesus, how they had had this love for God and love for others. And yet now that's been a while and they've sort of drifted and they are called to turn back to that love that they had at first for God and for others. Next to Smyrna, where the call was to be faithful. They were getting, they were getting things right and uh, they needed to continue in what they were doing. Next Pergamum, the call was to repent. There's one that, where they've kind of gotten off track a bit. Uh, Thyatira, hold on. This is one where they were facing persecution and it would have been a lot of good reason to just give up on the whole Jesus thing. But no, <laughs> you know, without, apart from Jesus, there's, there's nothing worth having. So uh, hold on to what you have. And then Sardis was wake up. There was not much good going on here. In fact, there wasn't any good mentioned here. It was only a negative letter. And it was that basically they had a reputation of being alive, but really they were dead. And so it was a call to wake up and actually pay attention and come back to life. And then Philadelphia was last week where we looked at this open door. And this is one where we didn't have anything negative said to the church in Philadelphia, but only encouragement to keep on. And one of the things we looked at there was how this open door for spreading the good news of Jesus and that no one can close that door, that this is something that Jesus can open or close, but nobody else can. And so if he says it's open, it's open. (laughs) And so, um, that was last week of Philadelphia. This week, we're looking at the last one of the seven churches to Laodicea and we're calling this pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. There's probably a better title for it, but I liked this one. So that's what we're going with. Um, and once again, we're in these messages to the churches. The, the messages are all within the context of this whole book of Revelation. What Revelation is revealing is that Jesus is the Lord of all, regardless of how things may appear in any particular moment or in any particular life, that he really is the one who is the Lord of all. And so um, what does that mean? How does that work? All this kind of thing. And so like these truths are revealed, but they're revealed in these very strange images and pictures and language, and all the language is drawn so, so much from the Old Testament and then also in combination with the particular situation of the people who would be receiving the letter in the Roman Empire in the first century uh, AD. So this last message to the church in Laodicea, and then next week we get to move past these letters into what I consider to be the heart of the entire book. But we're not there just yet. There's just one more message, and this one has nothing good to say for the church in Laodicea. This is one where uh, it identifies who Jesus is, 
It says, I know your deeds, but it doesn't have any good ones that it points out. But then says, here are the things you need to fix. And then gives us the same thing we get with all the letters to the one who is victorious. Here's what I will give you. Here's what you have coming. And then the conclusion, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because while this was a message for the church in Laodicea at that particular time, all of these messages are for all churches of all times. And we have to um, discern the ways in which they actually apply to us and our own situation. So here we go. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I hope you can hear, even if you don't understand the whole message of this church at this point, I hope you can hear that it is a passionate message to this church. That Jesus is communicating this message to this church because he cares about what happens to them. I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what you've been up to. And I care. And we can see this because even though there's nothing good that he has to, you know, say, hey, keep doing this. You're doing this the right way. Nothing that they're doing that he can point to that they're doing right. Still, why is it that he says that he is rebuking them in this way? verse 19. It says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. You hear that? In other words, it could have been the case that they're getting everything wrong. And then Jesus goes, oh, look at my church in Laodicea. They're just getting everything. You know what? Forget it. (laughs) I'm just done with them. They never get anything right. It's over. But he doesn't. Instead, what we see is, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And you may have heard this before as, you know, people needing to come to Jesus because they've never known him, which is true. People who do not know Jesus, I hope that you come to know Jesus. But that's actually not what this verse is about. What this verse is about is people who have known him in the past. This was the church of Jesus, who became a church because that they're following Jesus. And yet, when he then comes to them, he's standing on the outside, knocking on the door. Well, that's, that's odd, isn't it? 
Wouldn't you think that Jesus would be in the middle of the church? Isn't that what they're all about? Wouldn't they all want to have fellowship and a relationship with Jesus? We talk about this verse all the time in John 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you have a whole church of people that is apart from Jesus, what can they do? Nothing. (laughs) This is the problem. But it's also the reason that Jesus comes to them is because he cares about them. He doesn't want them to do nothing and to wither up as a church and die. He wants them to have life. And to have it to the full, that's what he said he came for to, in, uh, to begin with. He said, um, the thief, this is John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so he comes to this church in Laodicea, a church that's getting everything wrong. And he wants them to have a relationship with him and to have life. That's pretty good, right? That's great. There's only one problem. The problem is that he is still standing on the outside knocking at the door and it's up to them to open the door. Why might they not want to open the door? Because you hear this and you're like, well, obviously Jesus comes and knocks on the door, open the door, right? Why might they not? That's the same reason he's out there to begin with what happens earlier in the letter. It's what he describes when he says, I know your deeds. Because he says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. You know what it's like when you have a perfectly good vacuum cleaner that you love and adore. And then you see a vacuum cleaner salesperson on your doorstep knocking at your door. You're like, I don't even think I want to open that. I don't even think I want to talk to them. I don't need a new vacuum cleaner. And go away. <laughs> right? Now, obviously, this is much more important and significant than a vacuum cleaner thing. And this is definitely not a sales pitch. But where they are in their situation, if they really believe, I don't need Jesus. I've got this on my own. Then he comes and knocks on the door. Well, this is just going to be an inconvenience. This is just going to take me away from how I already do things. And I like the way I do things. I have built my life a certain way because that's what I like. And now he's going to come in and it's going to mess all that up. So I don't know. Maybe I don't open it. And so this is where he comes to them and he gives them this message like, you say that you're rich, that you've acquired wealth, you don't need a thing. And his message to them is, but you're wrong. You have looked at everything and you have assessed it all wrong. It is as though <laughs> you invested everything in cryptocurrency and then it went down and it was worth nothing. And it's like, oh, well, do you have any like real money? You're like, oh, no, I don't have any. Were we supposed to have some of that? Yeah, okay. It's the, it's the kingdom of heaven thing. It's the do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? Seek first the kingdom of heaven. And apparently these were people who had sought first the kingdom of earth. 
and they were trying to get the things of earth and they'd been really good at it. And so in their estimation, this is how the game is played. This is how you live your life. You try to get all the things and we did it. We got the stuff and we got a comfortable life. We don't need Jesus. Like, well, if getting a comfortable life in the things of earth is what life is about, then maybe you're right. But as Jesus himself puts it, to gain the whole, how does it go? To gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? That's not good. You get all the things of the earth, everything the earth has to offer, and you lose the thing that's most important about you in the process. And so he says, you don't realize when you look in the mirror and you see your beautiful clothes, your beautiful jewelry, all the life that you've built for yourself, you don't realize that all that that mirror can show you are the things of the earth. But let me hold a mirror up to your soul and let you see what that looks like. That's not pretty. You're actually pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. These are actually also all things that are drawing on the culture and time of Laodicea, what they were known for. There was a reputation that they had uh, around. There were things that they produced. They produced clothes. They had stuff for uh, healing eyes, etc. And so it was ironic that he would pick out these things and say, <laughs> you think you have these things, and you don't, spiritually speaking. It's like a, you know, the, the story of the emperor's new clothes where everybody's been lying to him, so he thinks he's really fancy dressed, but he's actually naked walking around. It's like that, only in a more tragic sense, that it's this church that's been listening to the lies of the culture and thinking, we've got it. We have done the things that we're supposed to do. We are wearing the clothes that we're supposed to wear. And Jesus says, no, you're supposed to be wearing the clothes that I give you of righteousness. These white robes come, buy from me gold refined by the fire. This is not earthly gold, but it's the riches that actually matter. He says, get from me what is true riches. Get from me the clothes of righteousness that can clothe you in how you're supposed to be clothed, spiritually speaking. So I have to put on your eyes so that you can actually see what's really going on and not be deceived by all the things that the world has to offer. Jesus talks about in the parable of the four different types of soil where the seed goes on each type. There's the seed that lands on the thorns, and that part it talks about how it grows up quickly, but because of the uh, worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, it's choked out and bears no fruit. So this is what it's like in a person's life when the word of God comes into their life. But then with the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, well, maybe that can make it better. But the word of God doesn't produce in them what it was intended to produce in them. See what, this takes us back to the earlier part where he says, I know your deeds, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. 
this goes back to the um, their geographic location. There were kind of three cities that were really nearby each other, and there was um, and it's really convenient for us that they start with the letters they do. So you got Hierapolis in the north, Laodicea kind of in the middle, and then off to the southeast um, you've got Colossi. That's how I'm going to say it. And Hierapolis was starts with an H. And it's actually known for having hot springs. See that H? It's just like in your faucet. The H and the C, you know what they stand for. So they have the, uh, Hierapolis has the hot springs, and people would go there as like medicinal treat. Like you, people still do these kinds of things. You go uh, and you get the hot springs and the um, kind of mineral bath kind of thing. So they would go there for medical reasons, for healing. Colossi down southeast. Uh, actually had these cold springs. And the water there was really nice and refreshing. And people would go there. You're really hot and you go to Colossi and, oh, this is ah, so good, so refreshing. But Laodicea was in the middle and didn't have a natural water source of its own. And so they'd have to get water from these other places. And by the time they piped it in, the hot water would become not so hot anymore. And the cold water would become not so cold anymore. And when it says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, (laughs) that's actually a nice translation. It's, in the Greek, it's vomit. That's what that is. This is, the water that you're producing makes me sick. It says, I wish that you were one or the other. I wish that you were refreshing people who need to be refreshed. I wish you were healing the people who need to be healed, but instead what you're doing is, You're just making me sick because there is no distinction between you and the outside world. You are called by my name. You are my people. And yet what you're trying to excel in are the ways of the world and leaving me locked outside. Doesn't that sound like a a good church uh, that should be like, not a good church, but like a, a church that would be just perfect to be the target of Jesus just zapping them. <laughs> just call down the fire, destroy them. I mean, if anybody deserves it, clearly it's the people who called by your name who are, have said they're going to follow you, and then instead they've locked you outside and they're trying to chase after the ways of the world. That's not what they get. And instead, what they get is mercy, and they get grace. And he explains that the reason why is because he loves them. We're going to look a lot more at the love of Jesus for his people, as well as the judgment that is coming in weeks to come. But for now, I want us to think about this. This fellowship that he offers, this relationship that he offers, He's offering to people who have already done him wrong. And yet still, he invites them to open the door again. You've closed the door on Jesus, open it again. I stand here and I knock. I love you. You don't see the harm you're doing to yourself, but I see it and I want better for you. I don't want you to be rich in the things of this world and poor in the things that actually matter. 
But I also want you to notice that what he's offering to them is a relationship. What he offers them is himself. As I say, this is one of these messages to the churches where the way that we take them today is kind of, well, the shoe fits, you wear it. And so for us, where does this fit? Are there areas of our lives individually or as a church together where we have said, ah, we don't need Jesus for this. We can do this on our own. In fact, we're, we're pretty sure we have mastered the worldly ways of this, so he can just stay on the outside while we handle it. We'll let him know if we need something. We do that. If we do, this message is for us today to see that that's what we're doing, to recognize it, to realize the incredible danger of it, to open the door, to come back to a relationship and a fellowship with Jesus where we do learn from him and depend on him. There's a lot more to say when it comes to people trusting in the ways of this world. We've already read earlier in Mark about the rich young ruler and Jesus saying, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to come into the kingdom of God. The disciples don't understand it because, of course, if they're rich, I mean, they're like most of the way there, right? No. Because it's when you are daily depending on God to provide, you tend to learn to trust God to provide. And when you're daily depending on your own money to provide, you train yourself and you learn to trust your money and not God so much. I'll tell you when the push really comes to shove here, just like it did with the rich young ruler that Jesus met, when the question comes down to it, you find yourself in a situation where you can either put your money to the side to get more of a relationship with God, or you can put God to the side to maybe get a little more money. How do you choose? John Calvin said, our hearts are idol-making factories. We read about the story, as we did in the children's sermon, about the, the cow that almost destroyed a nation. And we go, how ridiculous. We would never do such a thing. The, the heart is an idol-making factory. In Tim Keller's devotional on the book of Proverbs for yesterday, there's a section where he says, commenting on Proverbs 26, 25, and 26, as a minister may fill his pews, his communion roll, the mouths of the public, but what a minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. And that is true of every person as well. Work on your image. Work on your heart before God. This is the message 
church in Laodicea, but it's a message to every church that says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. And God, we hear it, and it is a challenging word. But God, we also hear that you um, you only bring this challenge because of your love for us. You know what is good for us. You know what is best for us. God, we are so quick to turn away from you and your ways and go right back to the things that are the ways of this world that we once turned away from. God, help us. Lord, you are the one who is the faithful and true witness. Help us to follow you. Help us to believe your testimony about what really matters most in life. Help us to be a church that provides refreshment to those who need to be refreshed. Provide healing for those who need to be healed. And do so because we stay in close fellowship with you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Amen.